Well, good day, everyone. This is a Father Christian here for another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Oh my gosh, it's not just another episode, Rabbi Durbin. There's something special about today's episode besides our incredible guest. Uh, it is, it is. This is the uh, 156th episode. So if you do the, uh, do the math, uh, it is our three-year anniversary on the radio. Cow, yay, our producer is clapping in the background. Evan, he is saying, yay. I'd like to think, I'd like to think that, that with three years under our belt, that uh, uh, we are a staple here in Martin County uh, and certainly uh, around the world. So um, <laughs> still in Yemen, we're still big in Yemen with our podcast. Yeah, yes, now see, yep, yep, our producer is holding up a stapler in the background. So we are that staple, a red stapler. Just put the red stapler back on my table. Uh, so today to commemorate this awesome three-year anniversary of not being kicked off the air or shut down as a podcast, as we say crazy things, uh, we are bringing on an, uh, an, uh, an all-star caliber, one who has worked with literally all-stars of the National Basketball Association, uh, Mary Beth Minnis, who is a documentarian. She also works with Crew, which is a Christian nonprofit, um, but we're bringing on her for her to talk about call, how to be obedient I know it's a tough word for some folks, but be obedient to God's call, because when you do, more glorious things you ever can imagine could happen, like, you know, working with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Mary Beth Minnis, you are the woman of the hour. Um, thank you for agreeing to be on this wacky show. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I just want to say that normally on all of our shows, we always say that Rabbi Durbin has the best hair. That is so not true. You, sister, are a walking Vidal Sassoon commercial. Thank you very much. So if you're ever in a pinch to fund your next film, maybe just do a little side work as a hair model. Yeah. Thank so, you so much. Yeah. I used to it. play Elaine um, in, from Seinfeld. Yes. In like yes. skits and stuff. It's perfect. Absolutely. All right. So we'll be talking to Mary Beth Mendes. She's a documentarian. Her latest film that she has out right now is called Jump Shot. Um, if you want to pause this podcast and go and watch that right now on Amazon or on Apple, do you go do that because you will not regret it. Honestly, it's an awesome film. You'll hear about all the other poignant stories that she is uh, telling through her teams that she puts together as an executive producer. So let's buckle our seatbelts and get ready for another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Peace. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. This is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Steward, Florida. Uh, next to me is his new name, Dapper Durbin, but many call call him Rabbi Durbin. But because he's the, the most handsome uh, 
rabbi this side of the Jordan River, he gets called Dapper Durbin. So I want to address an interesting topic here, uh, Rabbi Durbin. You know, folks who start to question my heterosexuality because of my admiration of you. So I just want you to know, I, I'm so confident in my heterosexuality. I don't care about those what people think about me because of my adoration towards you. So even every time your, your temple people think that I'm razzing you too much and my sarcasm is too much you just let them know that my adoration of you is so much people even suggest that i have something beyond a bromance for you you know look i appreciate it i mean look as i as i explained to some of the members of the congregation um you know the the backwards and forwards what you don't see is is, is how uh father anderson and i interact offline um so you know i appreciate it and uh uh, I want to say, you know, look, congratulations, Mazaltov. This is great. And you're giving me this queried look. But three years ago today was the first that we went on uh, with this journey uh, three years ago of um, a priest and a rabbi. So, you know, we've done what? Um, two, four, six, 156 episodes. So you're saying you're the one in the relationship who remembers dates and anniversaries. I may not know how to do anything technological or push record or um, stream it to Facebook, but I can remember dates. You can remember dates. And you can also, um, you can also help me find really great guests. And today we found a great guest um, because we, we, you know, on, on this show, everyone, you know that as a priest and a rabbi, we try to look through a Judeo-Christian lens, which by the way, I guess it's not a politically correct term anymore. Someone came at me online for doing that. There'll be a whole other episode, I guess, but I'm going to keep on saying it until someone explains to me why. So our Judeo-Christian lens is that uh, we want to see how does our faith lead us to be uh, these, these, these hands and feet of our Lord, to be this lo these loving hands. How does God use us? Uh, and we have great purpose in this world, um, and, and not because it's all about us. And I just want to find my purpose because it's all about me. But no, because we are just this God is working through us. And so we find these stories of people who have really tapped into that, who found, uh, I don't mind using this word, obedience to God's word, and really listening to him and saying, what is your plan for me? And let me just put my head down and follow it, because that's where the greatest glory, we want to shine a light on that, because it's so inspiring for us all. And it doesn't matter if you're, for, for any vocation, um, from, from being a, a housewife or husband to being the president of the United States. I mean, God works through everyone. Um, so we have a wonderful woman on with us today, Mary Beth Minnis, um, out from Austin, Texas. She is, uh, her vocation um, is a documentarian. Um, so she has, uh, she has executive produced films that have been Emmy nominated. Um, she has taken a wide breadth of topics from the first person who created the jump shot in, in, in basketball um, to taking on uh, tragedies such as um, um, as genocides um, in Africa um, to Black Hawk Down <laughs> to the topic there. So, uh, but she feels that God is behind it all because she did not feel herself born to be a documentarian. Uh, this was something God put in her lap. It says, I want you to be a storyteller. And we know that through the scripture, um, the power of story that God works through us is God is constantly just create, creating these self-effic stories for us to change our hearts, change our minds, and bring us closer to him and do his work. So without further ado, our guest today is documentarian Mary Beth Minnis, and we just are so excited to have you on the show. Good morning and welcome. 
Thanks so much. I'm so happy to be with you. And so just so you all know, when, when we have a guest, we'll get on that. We'll do a pre-production phone call. And then at the end, we always forget like, oh, yeah, we also do this Facebook Live. So you have to be camera ready. And so uh, Mary Beth Minnis, who's uh, an hour behind us, I believe, because of uh, you're on Central Standard Time. So she had to wake up a little bit earlier. And then she's like, oh, gosh, you know, she's kind of a more humble person and rather just be in front of a mic, not in front of the camera. But thank you for, for doing the full set and going to hair and makeup and getting ready for, for this show. Absolutely. So I found Mary Beth Minnis just because when I was on vacation, I was listening to a, a, a podcast called The Living Church, which I, I commend to you all. And uh, on it was Mary Beth Minnis was the first episode I heard. And it was so fantastic. And Mary Beth said a quote that just captured me. I was like, I got to reach out and see if this woman would dare to be on our show because we're just a bunch of goofballs. Uh, and you, you, you made a mention, and I, I want to kind of just tee it up for you and you can complete this here. But you talked about there was a big shift in your life about following God's blessing. And if you could just tell us so we can get an introduction to you, just get a feel of who you are as a woman of faith. Can you tell us a little bit about that moment in your life where I think you were in college, I'm not sure, but just, I think you know where I'm going with this. If you could give a little background on that story. Yes, I'm happy to talk about it. And just for our audience to know, I come from a Christian background. So the language I'll be using is from that perspective. But the way I describe it is I was raised in a home where I learned about Jesus and was baptized and was um, asked Jesus into my heart when I was seven years old, but I was very much living a life that I describe as, okay, God, um, I want to build my kingdom and I'm asking you to bless my plans. And I encountered the God of the universe in such a way that a major shift happened. And I began to say, Lord, teach me to build your kingdom. And it, it went from making my plans and saying, God, get on board with me to saying, who am I to tell the God who created everything, who's orchestrating all things um, to do my bidding? He's no one's butler. Mm. He is God, the one true God. And so um, I began much greater humility. You know, one of the things I used to say is I used to think God was so lucky to have me on his team. Oh, isn't he so lucky to have me on his team? I'm such a great Christian girl, you know, and, and then I realized, wow, that is some arrogance right there. <laughs> and he humbled me and he allowed things that, you know, the Bible talks about idols, things that we worship and look to for our security, our significance for rescue. And he allowed the things that I was trusting in to fail. And to realize there is nothing but him um, that we can truly trust in. He is the rock that is higher than I. You know, it's, it's, it, it's amazing because um, uh, it, it seems very reminiscent of a very powerful phrase uh, in Jewish tradition that says uh, each person uh, throughout the course of their life are to carry two slips of paper in their pockets. One that says, I am but dust and ashes. And the other that says, the world was created for my sake. Um, and it's, it's uh, you know, you know, Mary Beth, as you as you as you talk through your own personal journey, I mean, there's something there that says about humility that I, I recognize that the world was not created just for me, that I have a purpose and a plan within God's realm to be able to be part of this partnership uh, together to, you know, to foster in, you know, a better world. Um, amazing. 
Amazing. I love that. Yeah, there's there's a struggle too because in the in this in the era of self help and self empowerment, that uh, we culturally it is uh, it's used in a positive way. It's all trying to help us be better people, but especially in the West or in, in the states, it is about self empowerment and finding your way and how to make your life better. Um, and but as people of faith, we can get it. We can feel that tension that you're saying, Mary Beth, where. Are we just asking God to bless our desires and bless my dreams? God, this is what I want to do. Bless this, Lord. Make this happen. Um, and it might be something you're pursuing, which is very, very valiant. Very, you're not asking God to help you open up 10 strip clubs. You know? You're know, you just saying, God, you know, I want to do this vocation. Help me. Help me, Lord. Um, but there is a switch where we do humble ourselves and say, well, maybe God's got something bigger in store. And it might look very different. Um, but it does take a surrender. And are you willing to let go of what you're trying to covet so much? Can you, can you, uh, was there a catalyst or was it a gradual revelation for you to come to that moment, to let go of whatever you were asking God so much to bless and surrender and say, wait a minute, God, I, let me just follow your lead as opposed to you following my lead. Sure. Well, okay. First of all, I will say even, even now I still ask God for things. So I haven't gone swung so far that I don't feel like I can ask for anything. Um, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it talks about how we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and ask God in our time of need. So I just want to make that clear that I still do ask for things, um, but it is in a posture of humility, understanding that he certainly knows best and he certainly knows me better than I know me. And um the more I know him, I, and the more I follow him, I think I become who he's designed me to be. So I'll, I'll say that first. And then secondly, I wanted to say that, you know, I mentioned the idols, the things crumbling that I had trusted in. And at that point in my life, it was, um, my performance as an academics. I, this, it sounds ridiculous now to say this, but at the time, it truly was where I thought, oh, this is what makes me important or significant. It was getting my first B and realizing I'm not perfect. Oh, I, I didn't do perfect. And then it was a breakup with a boyfriend that I thought I was going to marry. And, and then it was, you know, joining a sorority and being surrounded by all of these homecoming queens and, um, as I say it even now, it sounds like as an adult, it sounds sort of um, ridiculous that I looked to those things, but that was my world at 17 years old. And th those things crumbled. God allowed them to crumble. And for other people, it might be your health. It might be something happening in your family, something that the things that you think, this is what gives me security. Mm. This is what I can trust in when it's God's mercy sometimes that he allows those things to not continue to be that for you so that he can ultimately be that for you. Um, there's a man named Larry Crabb who's written several books and one of his is called Shattered Dreams. And that book has really shaped me because it it's just this invitation. When your dreams are shattered, it's an invitation into what God's dreams are for you, which ultimately I think are more extraordinary than we can ever imagine. Yes. And I think you, you bring up a good point is that this, you know, suffering is a big piece of this. 
because God can shatter and break what you think is so precious and right in, in your life. And um, if we, it's easy to, to praise God and to worship and follow him during the great joys and successes of our life. Um, the truth is, though, is that can you praise him in the storm, as the Christian pop song says, um, as, as Shakespeare says, can you, can you, can you, uh, what's your, what's your mark during a, during a, during a, um, a tempest, not during calm waters, but can you find God and praise him even when it seems like all the chaos is happening around you? Uh, and, and in that, if you can, uh, there's great glory to be found. Uh, if we have people, we have people of faith who believe that. So you, okay. So you went through your own part where, where you were, it, there was a shattering. Um, I, I love that. I love that word you use. Um, and you accepted the call say, okay, God, you're in charge. I'm going to follow you. So how do we get to this place where you said, yeah, I'm going to go be a documentarian. And at some point be working with Kevin Durant, Steph, Stephon Curry and creating films that get nominated um, for the Emmy Awards. Where, where does that shift come from? Because you currently still work with crew and you are, I think you're a creative and you're a mentor with them or creative director. So you're, you're part of a Christian nonprofit. Um, so you're head, head, you're deep in, in the faith world, but then where does documentarian come into all this? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll say, you know, to connect some dots, I would say it started first by making it a habit of um, reading the scriptures as I surrendered. It was, I was like, okay, what do I need to do to understand who God is and how, what it looks like to follow him. And one of the primary things was understanding and reading the scriptures and then getting around other people of faith who could mentor me and walk through life with me and helped me. And so it's been a journey. So one of the instruments that the Lord used in my life was the ministry of crew. I was involved as a college student. I was mentored. I learned more about the Bible and how to pray and um, how to lead a Bible study and how to help mentor other people. And so when I graduated, I decided I had studied math in college because at the University of Oklahoma, um, basically because I didn't want to read or write. And so I was good at math. And so I studied math. And then, but really my passion became talking to people about God and helping them, inter helping introduce them to, even if they'd heard about him, they, you know, they would describe the God that they'd heard about. And I say, well, I don't think that's really who God is. And I wouldn't believe in that God either. And so I began doing that. And so I went to work with the ministry of crew. I worked at Texas tech university with college students, mentoring them spiritually and moved to Austin as a regional director. And then one summer I have these friends and I thought their story needed to be told. And I thought perhaps film might be the best way to do it. And at this point I had had a habit of what I call walking with God, which is mean I have an active relationship with God. I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible, I'm attending services. And so I've learned and honed the skill of hearing from God and, and also walking in obedience to him. And so I prayed and I said, what about a film? Should I do that? And I just sensed the Lord telling me, take steps of faith. So I went to my film friends in Austin. You know, this is a film town. This is South by Southwest, the film festival here. Um, Richard Linklater and other wonderful film people based here, Matthew McConaughey. So I went to some film friends and I said, you know, what's the first step to, to make a film? And they said, you need to hire a director. So I spoke with this guy who I knew had directed a few 
films. And I said, do you want to direct this film I want to make? And he said, sure. And then I went back to my film friends and I said, what's the next step? And they said, well, you need uh, money. And I said, okay, well, okay. So I just prayed. I was driving to church one Sunday and asking God, who do I talk to? And this one person's name came to my mind and I emailed him and we met the next day. And then he wrote a check to cover the cost of the entire film. And thus began my journey into filmmaking. I didn't even know what I was doing was called producing. The director I hired said, okay, you're the producer. This is your job. And I just learned as I went. And it was just one step at a time. It was simple. You know, um, in the Old Testament, it talks about thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And a lamp just lights a little bit of the way. And generally I have found God does not tell me the big picture. I don't think I could comprehend it, but he does faithfully show me the next step. And I just need to walk in obedience to do that. Um, pray for me. I got a huge mortgage on my house. <laughs> no, but, but all kidding aside, I mean, that, that's an amazing, just, and, and just so spiritually impactful moment that you must've gone through of trying to, on the one hand, I assume, um, Mary Beth, that it was an openness for yourself to welcome God in, in some way, and to really go on that journey. And the other, um, you know, uh, just just confidence of being able to say, I have a message. There's something I need to be able to present to others, to have an impact, and to make some change in some way, and 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 follow your convictions that you know, I can be, I can be chopped down. I can say, I can be said no to, but at the end of the day, my conviction and, and my, my drive and desire is real strong. That's, that's amazing. Amazing. Thank so you. It's, it's, Thank you so much. I think of faith as like a muscle and the more you work it, the stronger you get. And so some people will say, I can't believe you're not scared or so oftentimes I'm still scared, but I'm like, well, I've been trusting him in these small ways. And so it gives me the courage and the strength to, to keep doing even larger things. So, yeah, thank you for saying that. And that's, uh, and that's scripture-based. So as, as Christians with, with Jesus, who is a Jew, <laughs> he, he says, you know. The, the, he's my favorite Jew. His favorite Jew, our favorite Jew, you know. <laughs> um, and then, then it's you, Rabbi Durbin. Um, but that there's, with the small things, if you can be trusted with small things and larger things will be given to you. And so to have faith in the smaller things and it builds, it builds, you're right, as a muscle. So what are just the small things in life you're having faith with and trusting God with and using that light, uh, that lamp at your foot to be following? But um, that's a, uh, so inspiring for us. You don't have to be having faith. Just start with the mustard seed. So I got to do start with the mustard seed right now and God will keep on watering it and nurturing it, but you got to start and you got to commit to it. Uh, let, can we just rewind back to this, this process as someone who spent some time in LA, uh, you, you skipped over about 10 years of people just swinging away and ending up with student films that they're making in their backyard. Um, you went straight to, Oh, let me just get a, a check written and get a, a, a higher director. Um, when you went to your friend who said, yeah, first you got to get a director, you got a director, then you got to get the money, you got the money. What was the response? Like, Wait, what? How did you get money? Who are you? How did you do that? Exactly. They all were like, what? You have the money? That never happens. I didn't know. I had no idea. I was just, hey, guys, I'm just working the steps. Like, I'm doing what you told me to do. 
And when I tell, as, as I continue to work in the film industry and, and this continues to happen for me, um, God continues to provide financially to support the things that I'm doing and people are just blown away by it. Um, but it, and it is, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Um, but you know, I just, I just keep going. So. So now for you, you have some incredible stories of faith that come out of your walk as a storyteller. And we all know that God loves a good storyteller and has, uh, we, we've joked, I remember at seminary, at Fuller Seminary, they would not joke, they would be serious that the best storytellers were, were Jews and, and Catholics for directors because they get images of how to use images. So Scorsese and, all, and a lot of great Jewish directors because they're really okay with, with that with Protestants. He's like, Protestants, you've got to get our acts together because you've, you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater saying no images, no stained glass windows, no nothing. And our movies are terrible. They're formulaic. We preach to the choir and we need to get back. But see, you, you, you have though, uh, as, as, as a Protestant gal are really, I just watched your, your latest, which is called jump shot, which I encourage everyone to go watch. It is not just for people who are a fan of who was the first person to create the jump shot. Uh, it is a great story of faith. It's a great story of just uh, following uh, your call in this world of how God will give you instruments of how to uh, inspire and affect other people. Uh, and um, um, so how do you um, continue to, let's just start here. You are now an active documentarian. Um, how do you allow God to continue to be in the forefront of everything you do and not just get carried away with, well, this is your business now, and this is what you do, and you're on a roll here. How do you still stay humble to make sure that you're following his lead in everything? Well, I do have an advantage in that the film industry is really unpredictable and it's very difficult to even make a film and complete it. Then to have a good one is another feat. And then to actually get people to watch it is really something. That's the hardest part of the whole thing is distribution. So I am naturally built in now with what I've chosen to do that I'm going to keep I'm going to stay on my knees and stay in prayer because there's just no way to do it um, otherwise. And it, you know, as soon as you start to think you've got it figured out, the industry changes, technology changes, tastes change, um, you know, so that keeps me humble. Um, but I, I mean, it's definitely tempting to uh, start to, you see some success and, and people will give you praise and, and think it's something to do with you. And I have to continually, you know, go back to that, you know, that moment in, in college and, and go back to, yeah, the, like you said, in one hand, like I'm dust. Um, I will be ashes again one day. And, and yet God is, uh, he's created this world and I'm made in his image and I have a plan and a purpose. So keeping those things in intention is, I mean, one of the most important things for, for me is to have really great friends around me who have nothing to do with the industry that continue to, you know, 
they know me, they know my history, and they're not going to let me get a big head. <laughs> yeah, I love those people in your life. Like, well, I, I don't care less about your movie that you worked on that got an Emmy nomination. So um, that's great. It just reminds me of another great podcast that's out there. Sean loved some podcast today, but uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and uh, you know they talk about it on that at the that episode of, of Faith Leaders, where the charisma overstepped the character of the person. And when we lose that humility that God is in, in control and we really think it's us who are doing the things, it's, it's me who's creating the ministry. It's me the reason why these sermons are so awesome. It's me the reason why these films are doing so well. I'm spreading God's word and people are being touched and look at all these people I've reached with my films. I mean, my gosh, God has really blessed me. Uh, that is when the devil can really start to come in and, and, and mess with our souls. So uh, kudos to you to having a good accountability there with friends and your relationship with scripture and remembering that moment in college uh, that, that, set you on a path of humility to really put God first. All right. So we are, uh, we're going to take a quick breather here. When we come back, Mary Beth and her uh, devotion to God and following him, this led to some, um, her latest film, she gets executive produced, I believe, or one of the producers is Kevin Durant. She's Stephen Kirk, Stefan Curry. Also, she's filming these people. Uh, and, and she has some great stories of how that even happened of, a, of attracting Kevin Durant to this film. Um, her latest one called Jump Shot. So when we come back, we're going to hear some more testimony of Mary Beth's just prayer life and how she has been walking and following God to do great things for his call to her to be a documentarian. That All that's coming right back on part two of A Priest and a Rabbi. Hey everyone, it's Evan Nine, producer of A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at yourfavoritechristian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Sorry, Rabbi, who's Canadian? Welcome back to I'm the award-winning priest and a rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. All right, all right. Welcome back, everyone. This is Father Christian here with Rabbi Durbin, and our guest today is Mary Beth Minnis, who is a documentarian uh, and has produced uh, uh, her latest one is Jump Shot, a fantastic one. You can go on Amazon Prime, and uh, I watched it this morning, and uh, I didn't stop. Sometimes you watch content or read content for your guests. You're just trying to get through it to get an idea just so you can sound halfway with it on air. Uh, but I didn't want to put this one down. Um, you will learn about who uh, created the jump shot. And but his story is one that needs that that is, is a lovely story to tell a poignant story to tell. Um, and you walk away even if you don't care anything about basketball, um, you will um, have a you'll do a lot of discerning just about what is 
what is the work that you want to do in this world? How do you want to make this world a better place? And how has God called you, whether that's through being a lawyer, a teacher, uh, a mother, a father, however it is, um, in the military, God is, God is always working through you if you put him first. Mary Beth, so tell us, you've been um, sharing some wonderful stories about how you continue to uh, do what some documentarians and producers takes years and years and years of how, how do I get, how do I connect with just big names? And you are, you produce a film about basketball. You've never produced a film about basketball. And somehow you get uh, one of the greatest players in the game right now, two of the greatest players in the game I saw, uh, Stephen Curry, and then also, of course, uh, Kevin Durant. Can you, ha, ha, you have no background in basketball. You don't have them on your speed dial. How the heck does that happen? And I think God has a lot to do with this. So tell us. Well, I do have a background in basketball. I was the point guard in uh, my seventh grade basketball team at Cimarron Middle School. So and Kevin Durant. <laughs> I have to give a shout out to Coach Max Pope, who taught me how to shoot a jump shot, and my dad as well. Right. Um, and it was a part of my family growing up. So. Um, but I certainly did not know Kevin Durant or Steph, or he goes by Stephen Curry as a, an executive producer. But I had no, uh, I did not know these men other than the way most people know them from the media. But when I saw a rough cut of Jump Shot, the director, Jake Hamilton, allowed me to see, um, you know, something he put together that had a lot about the life of Kenny Sailors. And it had a lot of people already interviewed and in the film that if you were over 40, you would recognize Bobby Knight, people like that. Um, but if you were under 40, you, you probably didn't know who these basketball greats and these legends were. And so we really wanted to bring to the film some fresh, you know, NBA voices. So I made a list of the top five basketball stars out there. And, um, one of my passions is fashion. And so I drove straight to the mall and I tried on all of their shoes. Um, it was actually boys shoes, <laughs> tried on all of their shoes. And for whatever reason, Kevin Durant's shoes fit me like a glove. And so I bought his shoes. I just thought I am agile. I can jump. I can move. Like these are my shoes. And I thought, all right, okay, I'm going to start wearing these shoes and I'm going to walk here in Austin. There's this place called town Lake where you can walk outside and I'm going to start walking in these shoes and, um, you know, ask God to give, give us favor with Kevin Durant. You know, I believe this, I think he would really respect the man, Kenny sailors. I think he'd love this film and he could help us elevate it to a level that, you know, we couldn't imagine. So, um, through some connections, I got an introduction to um, one of my mentors, Coach Mo, and he is friends with Kevin and was the USA basketball, Olympic basketball team chaplain. And he made an introduction and we had the privilege of meeting with Kevin and showing him the film and he loved it. And at one point he stopped the film when he was watching it to see, to learn from Kevin. I mean, to learn from Kenny Sailors. You know, he was trying to get some moves from Kenny, which was amazing. And um, eventually Steph Curry, that was other, another extraordinary way that I became introduced to him as well. And when he saw the film, he said the next day he was in practice at the Golden State Warriors, you know, thinking about how Kenny shot and Kenny's moves and trying to replicate that. 
So immediately these men had a respect for Kenny Sailors as a basketball player, but even more so as a man. And after watching the film with Kevin the first time, seeing that rough cut, um, the thing that we talked about wasn't basketball, but it was about the way that Kenny Sailors lived his life. And we had a really rich discussion. And I just thought, yeah, I think we're onto something here that you can watch and respect this man for his athletic abilities and his commitment to the game and his innovation. But what speaks much louder is his character and how he lives his life, the way he served his country in World War II um, as a United States Marine, as a husband, as a father, and bringing the game of basketball to women in the, in the state of Alaska. There's, yeah, there's many parts in the film where you're, you start to realize that, wow, this is not just about the jump shot. This is so much more. And then there's a part in the film, and I want to ruin it for people, where there is this idea of him getting into the Hall of Fame and this pursuit of the Hall of Fame. And I remember as a, I think normally if it was just a basketball film, you would get on that side and think like, he's got to be in the Hall of Fame. This is so important. And you're like, he doesn't need that validation. This man his, he's, there's a point in his life where he's, he becomes one of the best basketball players around and he decides I'm not going to go to the big city because my wife needs to be in a more gentle because of her emphysema, right? And he says, we're going to go on to the sticks. And so he chooses his wife over his career and he could have maybe made an argument saying, you know, God has given me these gifts. Maybe I'll be by coastal. I'll go to New York or somewhere else and I'll be a reporter or I'll be part of the basketball world. It's what I have these skill sets. He says, no, I got to trust God. My devotion first is to my wife. You know, scripture says, you know, to, to love my wife as Jesus loved the church, like give my life for my wife. And so he's literally gave his, gave his life to her. Um, and so they move on to the sticks. And in, in that he affects so many more people in ways where women are playing basketball who normally wouldn't have had that opportunity to really express themselves in a way and changes the way that people looked at basketball for women. Um, it's, it's just, it's, uh, so it goes way beyond. So at that point as a viewer, you're not, you don't, you could care less if he gets recognized by some human institution that says you're in the hall of fame. You're like, it's the words that, that Kenny says at the end, I'm in the greatest hall of fame already. And so everything else is just, it's just, it's just gravy. Um, what was it, what was it like for you when you tell these stories and you've told other big stories, poignant stories, um, how do these stories then rub off on you? Do you come across, these are not just gigs for you, I assume. Uh, you know, I know for Rabbi Durbin and I, every time we have a guest on the show, we're influenced, we're inspired by our guests. We'll be inspired by you today. A person like Kenny and these other, you've done stuff on the genocide and Black Hawk Down. And how do these affect you as an, as an executive producer? Yeah, well, when I saw the rough cut of Kenny Sailors, I, the, my immediately, immediate thought was, wow, okay, that's what a man is supposed to be like. And that's somebody who is sacrificing, you know, for his family and for his community. You also saw in him a deep humility. And I was so drawn to that and moved and I was crying because, um, there's just, that's not what is portrayed a lot right now about what it means to be a man. And that's not what I'm, you know, you don't, you're not experiencing that on a consistent basis in, in our culture, in the media and in, in other places. And so it really touched my heart and it gives me hope and it gives me, yeah, this is what we're supposed to aim for. This is what it means to be a human. And so his life has really impacted me in that way. And then seeing, you know, he, he had this ripple effect 
by staying put in a small town, you think, oh, the way to become, you know, have an impact is to get as many Twitter followers as possible and be this major influencer. And, and, and I'm tempted, you know, and I'm certainly, you know, God can use that, but to look at Kenny's life and see, no, he stayed in one place primarily, you know, for 30 years and was faithfully in this tiny, small town working with these, you know, women that didn't think they could play basketball because they were short, you know, and, but he stayed with it. And, and that speaks to me and that challenges me. And it, and it, you know, reminds me like that, that's where, you know, God can have an impact right where you are being faithful. So that would be one. And then you mentioned genocide. So I've, I've done a few films on the uh, genocide in Rwanda and I, it's, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking, you know, and it's perplexing and you don't know how to get your mind around it. And even more so this, one of the stories I had the privilege of helping to tell is the original title is Italian, Imperio de Nabile, Unforgivable is the English title, but it's the story of Alice and Emmanuel and Emmanuel thought he had killed Alice during the genocide, but she miraculously survived and 20 years later, he returns and confesses to her that he was the one who tried to kill her and she forgives him and not only forgives him, they become reconciled such that they are friendly and they co-lead a reconciliation organization together where she's the president and he's the vice president. It's mind blowing to watch because it, you don't know how to even comprehend it, but some about it there's this distance between you and Rwanda and forgiveness is this you know um great concept we all love the idea of forgiveness like until you have something to forgive Mm -hmm. and I tell you what I started making these films on forgiveness and I just feel like I keep getting more and more things that I'm realizing I need to walk out and experience what does it look like to forgive and to be reconciled so yeah Rabbi were you about to say something no, I mean, just interesting in terms of when, when, when you look at certain, you know, major topics and major stuff that's going on around the world that you want to be able to highlight and to showcase, right? Rwanda. I mean, we know of the genocide and the, and the great challenges that, that persisted within, within, you know, 94 and, and, and subsequent other years. And of course, other tragedies that happened. And, and, and I, I mean, as Father Anderson said, you know, there are times where with our guests that we do get you know, terribly inspired. And I think something like that of showcasing and highlighting your take and your perspective on it to show the world that there is a different side to, to something that needs to be heard and needs to be seen um, is, is, is amazing. Have you ever been in a situation where you yourself have this idea for what you want to produce, what you want to show, but through the working of it, and of course, in collaboration with others, that the message or what you want initially changed or morphed over time, or, you know, I know when we, we spoke, you know, in our pre-production, there was something that, that you had said, which I thought was really amazing, which was about authenticity, about being real. Um, have you ever had that, that conflict of authenticity where at the other side, it's what's going to get people to, you know, to see the film? Yes. 
The first thing that comes to my mind is the most recent film that I've been working on. Our, our original title was Clarkston. It is the new title is Refuge. And we are excited to begin to premiere that in November. I can't announce yet where we're doing that, but Katie Kirk is an executive producer with me. But originally, Aaron Bernhardt and Din Blakenship and I um, set out to tell the story of this town of Clarkston, Georgia. So it's really unique. It's this one stoplight town outside of Atlanta. And for the last 30 years, the U.S. has placed refugees that were placed in Atlanta into Clarkston. So it's literally the United Nations of the South. It's every language is there, every culture, religion. And somehow these people have learned to live in harmony. There's not ethnic strife. There's not religious strife. And we set out to tell that story. And it's a, it was in reaction to the Charlottesville riots. Erin Bernhardt is, um, is a Jew, was raised a Jew. And she wanted to, to tell a hopeful story to fight against the hate the rise of hate and say, what is possible? And let's tell that story of Clarkson. Well, anyway, so as we're telling the story, we're following different people. One of the people we are following is a man named Haval. And he came to the United States. He's a Kurdish Muslim Syrian refugee, came right after the, um, right after the, um, right after 9-11 as a Muslim. Wasn't sure how he would be received in America. But I believe it was a, an Episcopal church actually really welcomed him and Christians embraced him, which is, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And um, Episcopal church, anyway, guys. Episcopal church. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so um, anyway, but as we were following him and his story and how he be ends up becoming a cardiologist, he ends up becoming befriended by a man who was just coming out of the Ku Klux Klan a white supremacist who was coming out of that organization and that his primary person type of person that he hated was a Muslim. And so his final step in recovery of, of coming, overcoming hate was to build an authentic relationship with a Muslim. So this story presented itself to us. And so while we originally set out to tell the story of the town, it shifted because we got this opportunity to tell the story of these two men and their friendship and how it's being forged in, in the most unlikely of ways. They couldn't be more different politically, religiously, culturally. Um, and yet they're able to become friends, true friends. So we shifted. And they, even in the midst of that, you know, you could, you could go political on it, more political in nature. And that could really drive more people perhaps to support it. And, um, but we really wanted to stay neutral and like you said, to be authentic to the story and to, and to represent, um, you know, fairly both perspectives. A challenge is, it is a challenge. And I think even as clergy people, we find that challenge of if I, if we go in this direction with our marketing or advertising or with our tagline, we'll probably get a lot more eyeballs, especially now since all churches and temples and mosques have had to go digital. The pandemic has taught us all to be hybrid congregations. So you have to start playing the SEO game. And so what is gonna optimize the search? And so what do we do here? Do And you have to get a little eye-catchy you know, to do it. Is that taking you away from the authentic message? Are you just trying to create a little bit of clickbait in it? Uh, and uh, is it better to do be an authentic voice with a smaller amount of people and really give a good message 
Or do you go big and you can get a ton of people and maybe plant seeds of a minor message? Uh, that's always, it's always a debate. I'm not saying going big is bad. Um, Broadway has debated with that when you get someone like uh, P. Diddy, who was the lead in A Raisin in the Sun. And so half of Broadway is like, this is atrocious. Why would you put this person, this is a prized role for a young black man. And you're going to put this guy in there who has no clue how to act. And it's, it's, it's offensive to the theater world. Then on the other side, you're getting school kids and other people from around the world who would never ever step foot in Broadway or there. And hopefully they'll return to Broadway. Um, so it's, it's, it's this, de this debate of being true to the art, being true to the faith, being true to the message. And, but you want to reach as many people as possible without losing your kind of norms and values. Um, so now as you, as you look to the future, uh, I know a big part of your heart is mentorship. You like to mentor. And as always, as people of faith, it's, it's, we're only as good as the leaders we lift up. <laughs> and uh, our, our faith models, um, whether it's Moses, whether it's Jesus, whoever it is, always lifted up strong people. Um, so for you, there's other, and especially I had to play the gender card, but it is important to put a point out, you know, female producers, executive producers in Hollywood need to be lifted up and shine a light, shine a light on. And I, and I sometimes I know it's a harder go than for a, for a man. Uh, what is your advice if there is a young lady who's listening right now who's saying, you know, I, I, yeah, I would love to be an executive producer or whatever. And, and let's say she's a woman of faith, you know, where, where, what is some advice to her that if she's maybe feeling as anyone who wants to go into entertainment or any kind of big industry, just, oh, but it, I don't know if I can win that numbers game. And I don't know if I have the strength to do that. What would be your advice to that young woman right now? Yeah, well, I would say, the most important thing is that you need, and it doesn't matter what you do or whether you're successful or not, are the people that are around you and your friends. And so not to neglect as you're pursuing dreams, career, et cetera, building relationships, lasting relationships with people who nourish you and support you and are true friends. And you're going to need that. Um, you're going to need that whether you're successful or whether you fail or whatever happens. So don't go all in on pursuing everything that just has to do with your career. So that would be my first advice. And then secondly, I would say, be faithful. And this is a spiritual principle. Be faithful with what's before you. If you get a small part or you get a, get a job as a PA, a production assistant, that's a great place to start just to be around on a film set, to be working with people, to do an internship, knock it out of the park, work hard. You know, one of the things that, um, that, you know, can really make you successful is show up on time and do excellent work. And if you do that, if you show up on time and do excellent work, they are, people remember that and they're going to ask you back and you're going to get greater and greater opportunities. That you know, and then at some point, any yeah, industry. go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just saying that's great advice for any industry. Yeah. So keep on going. You're on a roll here. But yeah, no, I mean, um, I don't think it's that different. You know, one of the things I tell people is I didn't have experience as a producer before I did it. But what prepared me to be a producer was leadership opportunities. So if you have an opportunity to lead, to cast vision, to get a team of people together, to work towards a goal and accomplish something, that's preparing you to be a producer. And so you can do that whether or not you have money or not. <laughs> oh, that's great. And then, and then also for anyone, there's, there's a, 
what comes up a lot and as a as a priest and i'm sure if rabbi durbin can wait to this we always like to have a rolodex of therapists that we recommend to our parishioners or congregants and so you learn a lot from folks who are they'll tell you what's what's on the hearts and we know what's on the hearts of our parishioners but there's this existential anxiety that can happen a lot with uh um usually more the younger generations who am i to be what am i to do next and there's just there's, there's a freedom to think and sometimes overthink about who am i to be how am i to be called do you have any advice for people who are trying to figure out their call you know um you've kind of given it already but just a way to say to someone who's struggling who might be experiencing a lot of anxiety of saying i don't know where god is calling me what do i do i just feel lost yes i would say you know there's primary things of how do i discern god's will and i've already said you know um scriptures being in the scriptures that helps me learn to hear the voice of god prayer um i godly counsel so people who are older than you, who have experience, who you respect, get their advice. Um, and then uh, providential circumstances. So look at the way you're wired, the, the, the things that you've done in the past and had success with, or things that you're drawn to help let those things indicate where you should go. And um, the same thing I've said before, but just be faithful with where you are and be willing to take the next step. This is awesome. Well, I'll let you know that the guy who's uh, whacking the weeds outside this office right now has just showed up. So if you hear that in the background, forgive me. Um, Mary Beth Minnis, it is it was a joy to have you on here. Um, you bring so much to the show, not just about how to be a documentarian and your own successes, but you've really helped us reflect on what it is to really mean to be obedient to God's call, how it is, and just giving also a how-to, the importance of having a good team around you. You know, the life of the individual just doing the solo act, that's just not strong enough. You need to have a good team. And if it's a good faith-based team, that's awesome. Good mentorship, that's important. To be in the scripture, to be part of a worship team. I liked how at the beginning you said, I'm just going to come at you like already to have a good worship experience, be part of a good community, to have good people around you, to be invested in the word. Uh, whether you're Jewish, Christian, Muslim, whatever it may be, just be involved, showing up and working hard. God doesn't just throw this in your lap. Mary Beth is busting her butt. <laughs> she doesn't just put on Kevin Durant's shoes and pray and things fall in her lap. She's got to get on the phone. She's got to work hard. So Mary Beth, you, you really laid it all out, uh, the, the, the balance of utter devotion to God, but also utter hard work to follow his, his call. Um, so thank you so much. Um, for folks who want to see more of Mary Beth's work, is Amazon Prime, that's where I saw uh, jump shop, but where else can people find your movies? Yes, um, Amazon and also on Apple, Apple TV or iTunes, you can find them there. So you can look on um, Internet Movie Database, IMDb, and see a list of my films. And uh, I don't know if you have show notes, we can put that in there. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Mary Beth Menace. And um, I'm always happy to give advice there if possible. And highly recommend go watch jump shot if you're inspired by anything you've heard today I i'm confident you will love the life of kenny sailors even if you were not inspired you will be inspired by that movie so i know that rabbi durbin is very inspiring and i am not and you still continue to show up for half the show so now mary Beth menace is here she inspired you go continue it get in that movie right now and also help support Mary Beth in her work. So um, uh, it's uh, always lifting up the artists who are the voice of the human experience for us all. Mary Beth, thank you so much for empowering these stories and finding these important stories um, important for our society to have them. So God bless you, sister. And um, 
we hope to see you again on the show with more and more creations that you are developing out there as you follow God. I'd love that. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. We will see you next Monday. If you missed anything of this next Friday, if you missed anything on this episode, check out the podcast. Just search a priest and a rabbi. We're on all platforms for podcasts. Peace. Thank you.